You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Ruth Flegman. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, September 27, 2022. Later in the program, WFHB News speaks with Ann Kavalerchik, member of the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition, about the union's recent no vote on a strike for the fall semester. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half an hour, the Bloomington City Council gave an update on a large-scale rezoning project in Bloomington and how that may affect development standards for the Hopewell neighborhood. But first, your local headlines. At the Bloomington City Council meeting on September 21st, Director of Housing Security and Heading Home of South Central Indiana, Mary Morgan, reported on the progress the unhoused support and advocacy group Heading Home has made in counties around Indiana since her induction in December of 2021. Morgan discussed some of the group's initial goals in combating homelessness. We're also taking an initial focus on veteran homelessness. It's a relatively small population, but it'll kind of allow us to work through the system um, to tackle eventually larger populations such as families, youth, and chronic homeless, homelessness. President of American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees Local 2487, Bradley Rushton, used his time in public comment to express concern about skilled laborers shifting away from government work into the private sector. Uh, we in the employees would like to make a statement concerning the city of Bloomington and its administration. The administration is quick to praise the employees on how important they are and how much they appreciate the hard work that they all do. They will elaborate on how complicated and difficult the employees' jobs can be and shower them with words of appreciation in keeping the city moving forward. That is until the aspect of financial compensation is brought up. The concern over employee retention and new hires is foremost in everybody's minds in all the departments. When the city loses one of their senior employees, you are losing knowledge and experience that cannot be replaced in short order. Representative for the Council at Large, Matt Flaherty, discussed some of the benefits of the proposed Resolution 22-17, which consists of large-scale rezoning in Bloomington and how that may affect development standards for the Hopewell neighborhood. But I think some of the things, talking about, you know, uh, uh, mixed-use mobility options, access to amenities, uh, livability, uh, good social fabric, all that are, are part of what goes into um, uh, principles of compact urban form, which is called out in the resolution, uh, as well as pedestrian scale design. Um, I, I would, A, encourage Mr. Stafford and, and others of interest um, who are interested to advocate uh, or, or uh, participate in this process as it works its way through the plan commission and back to council in, in terms of getting to those details of what the actual language is in code. Next, 
The council heard from the Citizens Redistricting Commission Chair Alex Semchuk, who presented their recommendations for district maps. Um, You've received our uh, report and recommendation establishing new districts for the city of Bloomington. Um, Many of the considerations that we undertook were already explained by um, Attorney Lucas, primarily making sure that we had a uh, distribution of population as equally as possible amongst the six districts. The map that we are recommending um, has a 7% deviation, uh, which is much smaller than uh, what the current districts represent and smaller from the uh, map that is currently used that was recommended uh, in the 20 teens. Um, Compactness as well was mentioned. So we tried to make the districts as, uh, as contiguous as possible while eliminating as many, probably not all of them, but as many uh, you know, strange shapes and, and reaches and things like that from the districts. Um, and we also made it a point to try to avoid splitting communities where possible. Um, one, I think the, prime, the district, or I'm sorry, the community that we had the most discussion over was probably the Elm Heights community, which under the current map is split into three uh, completely different districts. I believe the map we've settled on still splits it into two, but it's much more um, manageable in that regard. Um, and I believe we were able to uh, limit other breaks of communities within the map as well. Um, so we, you have the proposal before you, and I'm willing to entertain any, any questions you may have. Semchuk explained how they decided to district the Indiana University student population due to population density. Um, We never decided that we needed to put the entire or at least the majority of the student population in its own district because that would be fairly improbable to do. Um, But it was never an intention to say the areas that are mostly students need to be in a singular district. The council will continue to discuss the district maps at their next meeting. The next meeting for the Bloomington City Council is scheduled to be on Wednesday, September 28th at 6.30 p.m. At the Monroe County Public Library Board of Trustees meeting on September 21st, Financial Officer Gary Letterlier presented the 2023 budget hearing. So I'd like to welcome members of the community to the meeting tonight. The public hearing for the 2023 budget is the library's opportunity to share information about its financial plans for the next calendar year. This hearing is also required by law and must be held at least 10 days before the Library Board of Trustees adopts the budget. The adoption of the 2023 budget will take place at the October 19 board meeting. Letelier walked the public through the projected assessed value of the Southwest Branch Library and what that means for the library's tax rate. So as a taxpayer, the question might come up about how this service expansion is going to impact the property tax bill. So this report shows the trend for the growth in assessed value for all the taxable property in the county for businesses and homeowners since 2012. So looking back 10 years ago, we see that assessed value was at about $6.2 billion. Then for 2013, 
assessed value increased by a little over $57 million, which was less than a 1% increase. So for the next eight years, the rate of growth slowly creeps up, and in 2014, the increase was about 1.5%, then 2% in 2018. Then in 2021, assessed value goes up by nearly $500 million, or 6.69%, and in 2022, up about $447 million, or just over 6%. And then in 2023, the increase is about $1.5 billion, or about 18%. So assessed value <clears throat> has gone up nearly uh, to nearly $10 billion in 2023. This surprisingly large increase in assessed value is driving the library tax rate down. Uh, the tax rate will drop from 9.25 cents per $100 of assessed value in 2022 uh, down to 8.38 cents in 2023. Letelier said the budget's revenue is exceeding the budget's expenditures at this moment. Board member Jamie Burkhart asked about the growth rate and staff salaries. Letelier responded that he expects Indiana personal income to maintain this increase in the future. COVID uh, did have a, a pretty big impact on salaries and benefits in terms of... And the other thing I'm wondering lower. is about the continued growth quotient and being, you know, how that's factored in with the market and salaries, and as that starts to cool. You're right. We, can, we cannot sustain a growth quotient of 5%. Okay. Uh, but so, so I'm right in thinking in the future, this trend isn't going to continue. So, so we, we kind of have to look at that from, from year to year, and it, we, we have you know, quite a bit of time to, to react uh, in case the growth quotient would do something strange. And luckily, we're in a good position to have that time. Pardon? We're in a good position to have that time according to our budget. and Yes, we are. Okay. Yes, we are. Um, but it's something to consider. I, but I really, I don't see, for the whole state of Indiana, I don't see anything on the horizon that would... I guess, uh, cause total personal income to not continue to increase okay. at, a, at a pretty good pace. I like hearing that. Latelier asked the board to approve another $6 million for this year's budget. Um, so the reason for the request to appropriate an additional $6 million over this year's budget is related to paying for the construction of the new Southwest branch that's in process. So $5 million will come from the Rainy Day Fund and $1 million will come from the LURF Fund. When the 2022 spending budget was prepared, we had a limit on how much total spending could increase from the previous year. The 2021 total spending budget was about $11.7 million. So for 2022, 
the maximum percentage increase in the spending budget was limited to 4.3%, um, and that it, that's the growth quotient. Uh, so the 4.3% increase would cover normal operating cost increases, but we knew ahead of time that it would not cover the cost of branch construction. So we had planned on doing this additional appropriation this year. Um, the, operation, the operating surplus over several years was saved and put in the rainy, rainy day fund and the LERF fund. Now we need to withdraw the $6 million accumulated and use it to pay for branch construction. So tonight we are asking the board for approval of this resolution to use $5 million from the rainy day fund and $1 million from the LERF fund for the Southwest Branch construction project. Um, so when this public hearing is completed um, the, and the board has approved the resolution, the next step will be to go to the county council in October and ask for their approval. The board unanimously approved the appropriation from the Rainy Day Fund. The next Monroe County Public Library Board of Trustees meeting will be held on October 19th. In today's feature report, WFHB News Director Cade Young speaks with Ann Kavalerchik, member of the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition, about the union's recent no vote on a strike for the fall semester. We turn now to that interview. Will Ann Kavalerchik member of the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition. Welcome to the WFHB Local News. Thank you, happy to be here. Well, happy to have you here. So Anne, this weekend, the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition voted no on the strike authorization vote with a 91% majority. So I just wanted to get your, your take on this. Um, what do you think led to this overwhelming no vote this past weekend? Yeah, well, so it was an overwhelming vote that we were um, fully expecting, and it followed exactly the recommendation of the coordinating committee, of which I'm a member, um, and that itself was following, um, you know, other um, other conversations that we've been having with membership. So our strike in the spring was always for union recognition as its primary purpose, and that's still what our primary goal is. But what's happening right now is that we are, uh, the bargaining committee is currently engaged in some conversations with the IU administration including the Bloomington Faculty Council and the University Graduate School about creating possible pathways um, towards union recognition. And then we felt that as a demonstration of our good faith effort in these conversations, that we would not go, that we would not go on strike for the two weeks that we had planned for. I see. I see. Now, with this, the grad workers recommended voting yes on granting the authority 
to set a strike in the future. So would you talk about what that means for a future potential strike if negotiations with the university don't go as planned? Yeah, so a future strike, um, I would say, would look pretty similar to what you know, what the strike in the spring looked like, which was, um, you know, a strike of, um, of graduate worker labor, particularly instructional graduate worker labor. Um, so that, um, so as we have demonstrated with a 1200 worker strike that lasted for over four weeks in the spring, we have the power to really, um, you know, bring this campus to a standstill. Um, and so we really encourage the administration to continue working with us in good faith um, and continue negotiating with us in good faith in order to avoid forcing us to go on strike again. Absolutely. And that's a good bouncing off point for the the next question I have is that the university has, quote unquote, caved in some respects by, you know, increasing the minimum stipend. They promised to include a periodic increase of wages, sort of in line with other Big Ten schools. The university also took away some mandatory fees. So how did this all play into the conversation of not moving forward with the strike this semester? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, one of the things is that we see that the, all of the concessions that the university has given us come directly from our very well-publicized five-point platform. And so we think that it would be a lot more efficient if the university would just sit down and negotiate with us over these, you know, over these things um, rather than force us to strike um, in, order to, um, in, in order to hear us out. Um, we are really, very happy. I mean, these changes are, were such a long time coming and they're life-changing for so many people. And it's really to the shame um, of, of Indiana University that, um, you know, how, how low wages and working conditions had gotten before, uh, before, before these concessions. Um, so, um, I, I guess in terms of how they fit in with, how they fit, fit in with this is that, you know, for our, our membership really sees that the, the, these, these concessions were the things that we have been asking for for years before the coalition was, before the coalition was launched, before our car drive and before our strike. Our membership sees that the only way that to get the university to actually move on these things after years of the university saying that they were impossible was a strike. So we're really hoping, again, moving forward, that um, if the university will continue to negotiate with us, we won't need to go on strike um, in order to communicate with the administration. Right. That's that's a totally fair point. So with all of those changes the university made, um, kind of as you outlined, would you view the strike during the spring as a success on your part? Yeah, I would, I would view it as a pretty big success. I mean, I, um, I'm not sure the last time that, um, you know, Indiana University or Indiana had um, that large, certainly academic workers um, are not paving the way of labor history, but um, we really are following a proud tradition of labor history in Indiana. And just, and I think that we did a, a really good job of renewing that energy. Um, I think what, our four-week strike of 1,200 workers that were that cultivated such a wide amount of support from the entire Bloomington, the IU and Bloomington community, as well as nationally. You know, we had undergraduates and faculty members on the picket line contributed. I think it all contributed to this really incredible moment of political education, of demonstrating to this, you know, to this community that, you know, when even even when your your boss or employer tells you that things are impossible, it, when you go on strike, those things suddenly become possible. Um, for for years, IU was saying uh, things that things like eliminating the mandatory fees was impossible. Weeks before the strike, Provost Shrivastav uh, called it a splurge to give to bring graduate workers up to a living wage. And then all of a sudden, after a four-week strike, all of those things became a reality. Um, so I think uh, we're certainly ending on a high note, and I um, really urge IU to consider the fact that 
we have the capability of, um, of you know, massive collect of performing massive collective actions on this campus. And I really encourage IU to continue to negotiate with us in good faith so that we can instead focus on, you know, our educations rather than that. Right, right. You you raised some some great points there. And, you know, as I remember talking with the grad workers last semester in the spring, that a big goal of yours was to achieve union recognition in the eyes of the university. And I just want to follow up with you on that. So do you believe that that to be true right now, that the university has catered to some of your demands and sort of has recognized you as a, a union? Or do you think that not to be true? They're certainly talking around it. I think that there's um, a lot of misinformation um, that, um, you know, on the, on the part of Indiana University that for some, that it's, you know, illegal for us, for them to recognize as a union, that something about this being Indiana makes it illegal for there to be a union um, on campus. There's, this is false. There are multiple unions on campus. There are unions on campus that have been here, recognized, um, recognized locals of national unions since 1967. There are plenty of pathways towards union towards union recognition um, that um, you know that I that I you could could follow if they um, if if they were to choose to. Um, I think so. Union recognition is always our goal because having a union would mean having a collective bargaining relationship with the university, and that would mean having an actual sustainable way for us to continue setting our working conditions and prevent things like departments going over ten years without a raise. Um, there is still that right now the negotiations with the Bloomington Faculty Council and the University Graduate School are providing a pathway towards uh, are providing some some pathways towards that. But our goal is always going to be full recognition of our union, and we are still very much engaged in that fight. Right. Okay. Well, thank you for outlining that for me. Now, the next question I have, you know, in your opinion, is the labor fight as we know it over, or do you believe this fight is still ongoing? It's definitely not over. It's still ongoing. Our, you know, our union has never been has never been stronger, right? We have we continue to have a supermajority on campus. We continue to uh, really institutionalize ourselves in, um, you know, our, in, in every single department and every single um, body of shared governance, or or that's at least or the, um, you know, becoming full members of shared governance is what we're trying to, or full participants of shared governance is what we're working towards. Just as, um, earlier this week, the graduate and professional student government of IU fully recognized us um, and said and um, recommended the, um, you know, recommended us as the body to represent graduate workers on this campus. Um, we, you know, we're continuing to have these conversations with uh, with administrative bodies, and we, you know, and given that our given that this the strike won us some really major concessions, um, you know, some of the, some of our big platform points. Right now, we're in a really exciting space where we can actually expand our platform. Now that IU has, you know, done the task of, of ha having us achieve the very bare minimum of give it, getting us slightly closer to a living wage, but still, still not at a living wage, of ending, um, you know, pay-to-work schemes for at least the vast majority of graduate workers, of fellowship workers, still have to, um, at least still have to pay. Now we're in this incredible spot where we can to just continue really dreaming and thinking of other things that we're going to fight for, other other ways to ensure that international students are not exploited on the basis of their citizen status, um, other ways to insist that students who are who have, um, are marginalized on the basis of, of various identities actually get to enjoy being full citizens and um, you know and, and students and workers here rather than being discriminated against. So what we've demonstrated with our strike is how strong we are, how many things we can win, and now we're in this amazing position where we can just keep fighting for even more things. 
uh, because it's what we deserve. Well, thank you again for for clearing that up for us. Um, now, with that, what would it take for the grad workers to vote yes on a future labor strike? I think you know. I think that's a, that's a hard question. I think it, it really depends how these conversations continue going. One thing that we're looking for, um, you know, in our uh, that we're looking for is really that you know we we as the as the IWC um, are able to have exclusive representation over the working conditions of, um, of, of, of student academic appointees. That's sort of the, you know, the, um, the, 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 that, that's the appointment that members of our bargaining hold, hold student academic appointees. Um, you know, as part of our car drive and continuing to that, we have, we have collected a, a super majority of cards. Um, you know, graduate workers have democratically and emphatically stated that they want to be represented by the IGWC, IGWC UE. And so we are really making sure that um, our participation in shared governance first that we're allowed to um, participate in shared governance um, but also that that representation um, you know we're, we're not um, shunted into you know an, an advisory board or a task force that doesn't have any real power we want to we want to have exclusive representation over student academic appointees and we want to ha actually have a say in our working conditions um, and we just hope that the uh, administration continue working with us product productively to figure out what that looks like well, Anne, thank you again. And these are all of the questions I have prepared for you, but I want to give you the floor, give you the last word here at WFHB. Is there anything else you would like to add before we part ways? Thank you so much for uh, the interview and, and to all of the listeners. Um, you can find out more about us on our website, on our social media. You can email us if you want to get involved. Um, we're uh, really, really happy to support the and, and to um you know, uh, uh, build relationships with the larger Bloomington community as well as with NIU. Um, and, and that's all. Thank you. Well, Anne Cavalerchik, member of the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition, thank you for coming on to the WFHB Local News. Great. Thank you so much. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specialising in solar hot water, solar electricity and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cade Young. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Ruth Flegman. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thank you for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call cool letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Planetary Radio, a program that explores our solar system and beyond. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. Listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 